We are very privileged and excited to have um, Canon Andrew White with us this morning. Um, it's difficult to think how to introduce someone who's already very well known to many of you, and he's going to be sharing his story. So the less I say in that sense, the better. Other than to say, um, if I had another life and had another brain, I would have loved to have done what Canon Andrew White has done with his life. And um, you can watch documentaries about his work in um, Baghdad and the incredible work he does with the refugees in Jordan and other places. And he, I think the measurement of how famous you are is when you have a Wikipedia page with your name on it, which is uh, quite well populated with information. So um, without any further ado, let's give him a really warm welcome. Well, it's just wonderful being here today, and I can tell two really important things. One, you're not a boring church, and there are lots of those around. And two, I love you. <laughs> I want to begin by praying the blessing in Aramaic, not Hebrew or Arabic, Aramaic, the language of Jesus, which is the language that my people speak in Iraq and now in Jordan. So let us pray. Shemid Baba, Brona, Brocha, Kosha, Ha'alaha, Allahumma'ana. Amen. We offer this praise in the name of God Almighty, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For the Lord is here now, and his Spirit is with us. Amen. It's really good to be with you this morning, and I love being amongst you all. Now, you're from two different churches, aren't you? There's the Elim people and the Methodist people. Who are Elim? No. Who's Methodist? <laughs> it's great having our Wesleyan friends with us. Even though I'm really more Elim than Anglican. I also went to the Wesleyan Training College. So I'm a bit Wesleyan, a bit Elim, and a bit Pentecostal, and a bit, and a bit Anglican. But I'm a child of God. And that's the one thing that we all have in common today. I was so delighted when I came here this morning and I met people who I had connections with, people who I had had interest in. There were people connected to St. Thomas's Hospital. Before I was a vicar, I went to the gas school. I used to be a gas man. So 
I can put you to sleep with drugs or sermons, <laughs> but hopefully not sermons. And I also was so pleased to meet a Slovakian person. I'm very pro-Slovakian, Latvian, and Lithuanian, but I'm pro all sorts of people. Are there any Ulster people here? No Ulster people? No Irish people? You're only half Irish. <laughs> You're not real Irish. Cullum is my assistant who was brought up in Surrey, but then escaped to Ireland, did his university there, and is kind of an Irish... Mongrel. Irish <laughs> mongrel. And he is being taken over by a wonderful chap called Dan, who's just joined me. He's come from the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry in Redding, California. That's the people who don't know how to spell Redding. <laughs> they spell it R-E-D. But it's great that he's here as well with us. And um, you lot, uh, I know I'm not supposed to say the word wacky, but... You're very supernaturally aware and expect lots of miracles. So we can pray for you people together. Now, can I tell you my story? My story is a story of agony and ecstasy. Things so terrible and yet so glorious. And in a way, so much of our lives are a mixture of the terrible and the wonderful. We have lost those we have loved. We have suffered so terribly. We have seen those we respect and drew near to. We have seen them killed and removed. And yet we have seen the glory of Jesus. We have seen resurrection power. And we have seen healing, love, wonder and glory. So is it okay if I talk to you about those two things? Whenever I speak, I also, I don't speak like an Englishman. I'm not really an Englishman. I'm a pseudo-Englishman. I might sound like it, but I'm not. Do I sound English? No, I'm not. But the wonderful thing is, that your pastor and I have one thing in common, don't we? We're both not saved. We talked, and the fact was that we don't know anything else but loving Jesus. I was brought up by 
a father who said to me, all I can tell you is that Jesus loves you. And you must talk to him every day and he will talk to you every day. So I did. And he's always been there. I never forget, even when I went and did my medical studies, people said, oh, you're going to see such awful things. How are you going to hold to your faith? My faith grew stronger. When I went to Vicar Factory, <laughs> that's where they, when they send you to Cambridge and you go with a normal collar and you come out with it turned round <laughs> and you go in talking normally and you come out saying, Oh, Lord, open thy lips. You know, most people, when they go to Vicar Factory... They don't believe it anymore. They hear all this theology and they say, oh, how can God be real? Well, it didn't work like that with me because I knew that at Vicar Factory, doing theology, I knew they talked a load of rubbish half the time. But I still believed in Jesus because I knew him and I loved him. And that was all that could make a difference to me, that I knew that Jesus was real and he was my everything. I must admit, can I confess something to you? Christian theology was really, really boring. So I gave it up, and I changed to Judaism. So when I was at Cambridge, I did my Christian theology. So I am qualified, honestly. I know my Christian bit. But I switched to ju Judaism. And I studied the Judaic and Rabbinic tradition. I studied Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I studied all that Abraham taught. Now, it's really good learning about Abraham because we ended up coming from the same place. Do you know where he came from? Ugh. Abraham came from uh, 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 the Chaldeans, and that's in Iraq, in southern Iraq. So I hang out there for a few years, but I only hang out there after I'd finished with Israel. I studied Judaism. So, who's at university here? Who's going to go? Lots of you are going to go. 
Sorry? Don't say which one. Pun? I'm not saying anything. I don't mind the old people as long as they keep their distance. So the fact is that whatever you're doing, wherever you have started, wherever you are going to study, God's going to be with you. And his glory will sustain you. But what he's trying to say is don't go to Oxford. <laughs> That's all he's trying to say that Cambridge is better. But that doesn't matter. You went to an Irish university and you've done all right. So, where are you going to go? Where do you want to go? You do. I'm no, it's not. It's just the time. That was when I was deciding. Where do you want to go? UCL. Look. I did my first degree at London University at St. Thomas's Hospital, so that's a very good place. It's good. And we'll pray for you afterwards. We'll anoint you and pray that you get in you doing your levels this year. Good. Three or four. Right, good. My son, I have two sons. One did only three. He got three A stars, went to Cambridge, and now works for Philips, dealing with MRIs and CAT scanners. But it doesn't matter what you do. The thing is, you want to do what God wants you to do. That's a thing, to be where... He wants you to be in his will, following his purpose. And so after all my years of studying Judaism and rabbinics, I learned a great deal about the importance of Israel and the importance of Judaism as a root of our faith. Why? Because our boss was Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. Have we got any books about that? We've got a little booklet about the older younger brother, about Jews as the older brother and Christians as the younger brother. We are both called to serve God together. We are both called to be his miracle people. And he wants to do great things through us. But essential to all of us is to love the Jewish people and to love Israel. Whenever I say anything about Israel... Everybody condemns me. 
that's a little Jewish book. It's called Older Younger Brother. Now, people don't like you talking about it because for nearly 2,000 years in Christianity, there has been extreme anti-Judaic polemic. It's a birth of anti-Semitism. You don't love the Jews because they didn't follow the right way. Well, they may not have followed the right way. Neither have most of the people in this village followed the right way. But Jesus still loves them. And he has still made a way available for them. And he still says to them, See, I am your God. I am your King. Now, one of our greatest people in biblical history in Iraq wasn't actually Iraqi. He came from Cana. He came, was a great evangelist, and he came to Iraq via a submarine. You've got to always be careful of evangelists who come by submarine. Anybody know his name? Who said it first? Somebody over there. Right, you can come and get the first prize. And this is, it's a Jonah pen. And it says, Jesus is the light of the world. And if you come here, and you can open your mouth, and you go, ah, ah, there we are. You press it three times, and it goes on. Yeah. Well done for getting Jonah right. Jonah was a really, really miserable evangelist. <laughs> if you read the book of Jonah, there's nothing nice about him. The only nice thing is where he says, I knew that you were loving and forgiving God and that you always forgave people. Oh, I want to die. I don't want to go there to Nineveh. I want to die. He went to Nineveh. He spread the word. Who knows where Nineveh is? The real Nineveh, not you. You've heard it before. And you're half Irish. <laughs> Who knows where Nineveh is? Who said that? 
You get, you get the second prize. Same person. Choose somebody else to give your prize to. Hello, the clever man's wife. What, what's it like being married to a clever man? A gift. Thank you very much. So, Jonah listened to God. And he did what God told him to do. And he went to the place he didn't want to go, which was Mosul, or as we call it in Iraqi, Nineveh. Did you know that until ISIS visited us a few years ago, Nineveh was the biggest home of Christians in the whole of Iraq. All of my congregation in Baghdad, they all originated from Nineveh. Nineveh was where, until a few years ago, everybody worshipped the living God. So Jonah may have been a miserable old submarine mariner, but he did what God told him to do. He didn't want to. Yes, you can try and fight what God wants you to do. You won't win. He always gets his way. And that's the wonderful thing. And so Nineveh is full of the people who follow Jesus. When I took over, I started going to Iraq years ago. I was a canon at Coventry Cathedral at the time. And I knew that I was running the International Center for Reconciliation. And my main work, as I said, had been Israel and Palestine. And God said to me one day, I want you to go to Iraq. I said, all right, Lord, make a way. I tried all the Iraqi links. And this was in Saddam's day. And they told me they didn't want me. <laughs> they said, just stop dropping bombs on us. I said, with all respect, I don't drop the bombs. I just li live in a country which does. And I prayed so many different ways. I said, Lord, please, let me get to Iraq. And I tried the Iraqi interest section. That was what we had instead of an embassy. And none of them wanted me. 
the last thing I did was to bring all my staff together and I prayed. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes praying is the last thing we do. I thought I could sort it out myself. But no, God said, come to me. So I came to the Lord and I said, will you make the way for me to go to Iraq? I didn't do any other plans. I'd laid it at his feet. And so I waited. The next day, I had a phone call from Tarek Aziz, who was Saddam's deputy. And he said, I want you to come and see me now. Now, well, he was basically the ruler of Iraq. So I said, thank you, Lord. And I started making arrangements. There were no airplanes in those days to Iraq. So I had to fly to Jordan and then take a car which could drive me for 18 hours through the desert. So I drove. 18 hours through the desert. And I got there and I started working with the Iraqi leadership, all the dodgy Iraqis. And I can remember being involved with all of these people. And so Tarek Aziz said to me, can you bring over some of your senior religious leaders? So I took over from England some bishops and evangelists and other people. So they all saw him. Then Tarek Aziz said to me, right, you have brought all your religious leaders here. We want you to take our religious leaders to England and America. I said, I can cope with England. I'm good friends of the Archbishop of Canterbury. We can do that bit, but I don't know Americans. So Tokas, you know what he said to me? He said, oh, there's a well-known American preacher called Billy Graham. He will help you. So I got back to England and rang up Billy Graham. And he said, I've been praying for years that we could connect with Iraq. And so Billy Graham made all the ways available. And I taught the main Ayatollah and the Imam and the Patriarch. I taught them to England and then to America. And Billy Graham kind of made a way. He did most of the time. But we had a few problems uh, called the CIA. 
the kind of American intelligence. They didn't want us to take such dangerous people into America, so they stopped us. By this stage, I was sitting down with Billy Graham. I was there. And his assistant said to him, Dr. Graham, they won't let them in. There's only one way around it. You need to talk to the president. It was Bill Clinton, and it was in the midst of the Monica Lewinsky affair. You know, when Billy Graham, when um, Bill Clinton was being a flirtatious philanderer with one of his interns. So Billy Graham's assistant said, sorry, you've got to talk to the president. And Billy Graham said, I don't want to, but I will. So he rang him up and said, I need you to do this. Now, that was very important because not only did I learn that Billy Graham could do anything, I learned that he was a Protestant pope. <laughs> so the Protestant pope did it, and we got all the bad guys in, And that was the beginning of my real relationship with all the religious leaders of Iraq. I can never forget the times I used to go to Iraq well before the two or three war. And I used to have these people called the Mohabrat, who are basically the Iraqi spies the Secret Service. They used to check everything I did. And one day, um, two of the Mohabarat came to me and they said, Andrew, it's really important. I've got a very key meeting you've got to have with somebody you've not met before who's very important. I said, I've been with Tarek Aziz all day. He didn't say anything to me about it. So I looked at him, and I knew if it wasn't Tarek Aziz, the only other important people I could meet was not Saddam Hussein, but his sons, Uday and Kwase. I said to him, is it Uday or Kwase? He said, both. I said, I'm not going to see them. I don't want to see those evil men. He started to cry. He said, if you don't see them, they will kill me and my family. 
So I said, all right then, I'll go. I went to this hunting club where all the big sedan people used to hang out. And I had the worst dinner party of my life. They were really, really awful. And I had to go, otherwise my Mohabharat man would have been killed and his family. So I went through all the rituals with them of what they wanted me to do. And yet I strangely knew that despite this crisis, God was in it. And God was in it. Because this was what had opened the door for me getting into Iraq. At the same time, uh, George W. Bush, for those of you who are young, you don't know who he is, he was the president of America. He was planning to go into Iraq and invade. And all the time, I used to have to go to the Pentagon, the um, American Department of Defense, to talk to them about Iraq and how to invade and how not to invade and what to avoid. I never forget one day I was at the Pentagon with the President's men. And we started to talk. But before we went on, we prayed. Lord, open the doors and show us what to do. And suddenly flakes of gold started falling all over us. We were surrounded by gold dust and gold flakes. And this was the real presence of God saying, this is the start of your work. I want to do great things. Anyway, we started, we had a little war. And I was the only one who was there before the war. So I was used by the Americans as a key person. We had the war. We tried to get rid of Saddam, but he escaped down the hole in the ground. Anyway, he didn't need his palace anymore. So the coalition took it over. And his throne room was beautiful. It had a really big golden throne. They didn't need it anymore, so they gave it to me. <laughs> and it became my chapel chair. I used to sit on it and do my services for all the troops. 
But it was an incredible series of things which was like divine reversal. That which was evil and meant for harm, God had now meant for good. And so there I was, sitting on my throne, doing my morning services. It was a bit more comfortable than this wheelchair. I didn't need a wheelchair in those days. I've got MS and I've had it 20 years. And it's only in the last couple of years I've not been able to walk. But there I was in my throne. And we used to praise God. And we used to, at the same time, I reopened the Anglican church, which had closed years before. There were no Brits left in Iraq, so the church closed down. So I reopened the church, and the only living thing in the church was a pigeon. <laughs> and the pigeon didn't even fly very well. Felt quite sorry for the pigeon. And our first service there, we managed to get out our leading people who were with us. So the top MI5 people, the top CIA people from America, they all came along. And we had our first service, and that was the beginning of something special. That church of dead pigeon grew to be a church of six and a half thousand people. And it was a glorious church. And it was full of the power of God. We had so many miracles happen in that time of being in that church. So many people healed, the dead raised. It's quite good when the dead can be raised supernaturally because I just learned how to raise the dead medically. And that was quite good. But when God does, it was even better. Now, is my other Bible around? My other Bible... I'm sure that there must be at least one person here who knows whose Bible this is. Whose Bible is this? Who knows who Smith Wigglesworth was? Smith Wigglesworth was one of the greatest Pentecostal pastors of the, this present and last century. He died in 1947. But my grandfather was one of his students and became one of his workers. Smith Wigglesworth was a plumber from Bradford. Plumber turned preacher. My grandfather was a plumber turned preacher. 
So it was rather good. So this is his actual Bible. And the Bible is full of thousands of notes. Almost every page is underlined. Now, I have a deal, a special deal. If you buy one of my books, you can have a look at it. Do you think that's a good deal? Very good deal. So this is Smith Wigglesworth's actual real Bible. That who knows somebody called Donald G. Donald G. Donald G was a great Pentecostal pastor who taught. Wigglesworth's funeral in 1947. And there was Donald G., Howard Carter, the Jeffrey brothers, you know them, being Elam. Who knows the Jeffrey brothers? Yeah, they were all connected. All one of a kind. So, So this was the wonderful ministry that we started to have in Iraq. There's a wonderful passage in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. We have all known suffering. We have all known brokenness. And yet God comes to us and says that the glory that's to come is far greater than any of your tragedies here. However awful it is that we've experienced, the glory of God is to be revealed. I never forget that we, after the war and we got the church going, we used to get various people visiting us in the church, like Open Doors and Voice of the Martyrs. I had all my Iraqi children, and many of them were really like my spiritual children. I had baptized them, I'd christened them. They were everything to me. And Voice of the Martyrs were with us one day. And one of my children, who's now a married woman, but she was a little girl then, she was so full of the love of Jesus that they turned around to her and they said, 
why is it that you're we're in one of the most dangerous places in the world? All your people are being killed. Your family are being murdered. And yet you're so happy. And she said to him, when you have lost everything, Jesus is all you've got. So what is the story of Iraq for us? It is when you have lost everything, Jesus is all you've got. I never forget one day I had been up near Nineveh, Nineveh, Mosul, and I was spending a little time there. And one of the men from our congregation came to me. They call me Abuna in Aramaic. He said, Abuna, Abuna. Will Jesus forgive me? I said, what have you done wrong? He said, Dash, that's Isis, came and visited me. And they said, unless you say you're going to become a Muslim, we're going to kill your children. And he said, I couldn't bear to see them kill my children. And I said it. Will Jesus forgive me? Will he still love me? And I said to him, yes. Jesus will not leave you. He will still be with you. The next day, Dash, Isis came back again. This time they did not ask the parents to say they believed in Islam. They asked the children. And there were four children there. And they said, do you believe that Muhammad is the greatest prophet? And Islam is the true religion. And that Jesus is not God. And the children said no. We know that Jesus is real. We love Jesus. And they started singing one of the only three English songs I taught them. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones who he belong, he is weak and they are strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. 
so Isis killed all of them and chopped their heads off. And I cried and cried and cried so much. I couldn't believe that the agony had got this much. And three of my girls, two of my girls rather, in the church, they are still with me. They're still with me at our school in Jordan. They lived with me in the church in Baghdad. And they came to me and they said, Daddy, Daddy, last night we both had a dream and we saw the children dancing in heaven with Jesus. And what ever happened in the tragedy of Iraq, I always knew the glory of our children dancing with Jesus in heaven. And even now when I see them, they talk about how they saw Jesus dancing in heaven. You all need to know that the center of the gospel message is nothing less than the message of the cross. And the cross, the cross is the message of death and resurrection. This isn't a emblem of the end it's the emblem of life new life it's the glory which is here with you now yes we've heard something of the tragedy we went through but the glory was so wonderful the glory was mind-blowing. The glory is never-ending. Every church I go to, I give away one of these crosses. They are all made by my friend in Bethlehem. He's called Joseph, and he's a carpenter. That's rather good, isn't it? He was 58 this week, yesterday. And I always, whenever I'm preaching, the one thing I always do is I look around the whole congregation and I know who I'm going to give the cross to. I'm giving it to you. That young girl at the back there, the one who's smiling, yes, it's for you. Come here. What's your name? Oh, I met you earlier, didn't I, Catherine? Catherine, this cross is yours. Would you like a pen to go with it? 
I think you would, wouldn't you? Because the pen lights up. <laughs> the cross lights up as well. But spiritually, you need a pen as well. There we are. Ah. There we are, Catherine. And that will always remind you, or whoever you're with, show it to them and say, this reminds me of the glory of Jesus. Thank you, Catherine. That's so good. I said earlier, when I met you in church, I said I was going to give you a present, didn't I? And that is it. There are two other children I've still got to give a present to, but the pastor will help me find them later. Now, I want to show you a picture of our children at school. It's always good if you can see a little film, isn't it? When it starts getting boring. <laughs> All right? Now, these are my children at school. And included there is Rita Maha, who I told you about. Can we play a tune or not? Now, there are the w words in Aramaic, which they all sing three times a day. The children all queue up in the playground and sing this. We'll wait for some sound. lovely and that is these children sharing in the glory of the living God they may have all suffered so much there's not one of my children who has not had that part of their family killed and yet 
they have all known the glory of the risen Lord. Now I pray that you too may know something of the glory of the risen Lord. Because he is here. His spirit is with us. I pray that this little church may be a source of his might and his glory flowing into this village. I pray that all of you from whatever church may be a means of showing the love of God and showing the restorative power of Jesus. When the terrorists came in, the first thing they did was remove all our Bibles. They burnt them and destroyed them. And I can remember standing in Christ Church, Jerusalem, Jaffa Gate. Has anybody been to Christ Church, Jaffa Gate? Anybody? Did you like it? Yeah. Well, I happen to be the president. I don't run it. I'm just the president of everything in Israel. <laughs> you know, it, it just is an honorary thing. I was talking about all of our Bibles being destroyed. And a man came up to me and said, don't worry, I've got Chapter Bibles. In the beginning, and he God gave me the these little here. plastic boxes. Now the earth was formless and empty. And Darkness was over the surface of the deep. Speak in Aramaic and English and have the whole Bible. And so it does all languages. And the really good thing is they're solar powered so you don't need batteries that's going into Arabic now and these Bibles are really good if you can't see is there anybody here who can't see or knows somebody who can't see anybody who can't read the Bible Right. Is somebody coming up now? <laughs> All the instructions are in there, but basically you need to press the green button, and when it runs out of power, give it some sun. Now, I know that's a bit hard around here. <laughs> here we are, my friend. Had the Bible.
whilst I was praying and waiting on God, I felt God was saying a few things, like he wants to heal somebody's eyes of macular degeneration and retinosa pigmentosa. And I want to pray for you if you've got that. I also want to pray for anybody who's got Crohn's disease and to pray also for somebody who's got spondylitis and somebody who in the past has had osteomyelitis. God wants to heal you and bring you restoration. But the most important thing God wants to do is he wants to make your churches a light. He wants to use you in the means of bringing his power, his glory, and his healing. And what I want you to do is you're not going to convert your village by mass crusade. All right? No mass crusades. Every one of you is to be a source of the mass crusade. You have to share the message of Jesus' love with somebody that you love. And there's also somebody here who's got a broken heart because somebody you love doesn't love you anymore. And God says, I'm going to restore a new relationship, a new person, a new healing, a new home. And so we welcome Holy Spirit in this place. We pray that the glory of God will be over all of you. I never forget the day. In all my churches where I've ever worked, I also had clinics. So I had a clinic. A man came into the clinic one day and said, Abuna, Abuna, my daughter is dying. Can she be treated here? I said, sorry, your daughter's in the university hospital. We can't treat her. He said, I want her treated at the English hospital. I said, it's not an English hospital, it's an Iraqi one. I just happen to be the only English person here. So I said, look, I want to pray for your daughter. And I pray that Jesus makes her better. And I want you to go to the hospital now. And all the time just say, Yeshua, Yeshua, Yeshua. Jesus in Aramaic. He got to the hospital saying, Yeshua, he was a Muslim, he wasn't a Christian. He got there and as he arrived at the hospital, 
the consultant came out and saw it, said, I'm very sorry, Bryn. When you were away, your daughter died. She was in a critical state with a cystic fibrosis. And he went to see you and he was crying, crying, crying. And he went to bed, took the sheet back from her, held her, and said, Yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. She sat up. And she said, Daddy, I'm hungry. I want some food. So when he came back and told me this, I said, don't worry, it's happened before. <laughs> so the miraculous power of God is still at work today. And the miraculous power of God will bring healing today. Pastor! Have I run out of time now? Yes, sorry. I'm sorry, there's nothing worse than a boring preacher who goes on over time. So I'm going to stop now. And I'll pray with people. And I'll sign your books afterwards. And we've got a couple of books available. And I've got my famous pen to sign them. This pen was a pen that signed Saddam Hussein's death sentence. So you get it as well. <laughs> Bye! I hate to bring the man to bring it to a close, um, but I think um, Andrew would love to pray with those people that he mentioned earlier. If you were like, I'm in that category, or if you're like, hey, I just would like love him to pray for me to be healed of something, please come up, seek him out, ask to be prayed for. Otherwise, um, we're going to finish the formal part of the service, so um, help yourself to tea and coffee and cake, and uh, make someone feel really welcome. God bless buy you. And buy some books. Um, and um, we've also got um, our uh, How to Give page up on the uh, screens here. So if you feel like it's really on your heart to, to donate and to support the persecuted church, which is the, the apple of uh, Jesus' eye, um, then um, you, you couldn't support and sow into a better charity uh, and into a better um, a mission than that, what we're carrying out in the Middle East. And um, any little bit of help... Uh, <sighs> really, really, really does count, whether that be through prayer or through uh, financial aid. But however you feel the Lord uh, leading you will be much appreciated. So thank you very much. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you.